Children, you can go downstairs to your Sunday school class. Thank you, Mike. Okay, thanks for putting up with me for a second Sunday in a row. Um, we are going to continue our discussion on Satan and the angelic conflict. And last Sunday, I kind of introduced uh, my class with a look at the Young Adult Fellowship, which is going to be starting up soon for the fall semester. And I thought this morning I would introduce by showing you, giving you a peek under the tent at a, a very unique event that happens at Camp Arete, a very valuable, valuable event. And let me see if I can set this up for you. We call it the Pastor Panel. So Camp Arete, 13 to 19 year old teens come from all over the country, we even had three from Mexico come up this year. And uh, we just hammer these kids and they, and they eat it up like, like it's nothing. We give them three hours of Bible study a day and a bunch of fun activities and uh, games in between those Bible studies. Um, but we do something called the Pastor Panel. Sunday at 4 p.m. when Camp Arete starts, we have some songs, we have the director's welcome, and then we go into in-processing, where they have to go station to station to station. They have to turn in their pharmaceutical meds, the nurse controls those, they have to turn in all of their, there's a couple of Camp Arete students here. Um, they turn in the pharmaceuticals, they turn in the electronics, we take a safety picture in case we lose them in the Smoky Mountains. They get given the uh, reference book that they're gonna follow through with all their, their notes for the teaching for the week. And we also tell them about a box sitting over on the side of the dining hall with a slot in the top. And there are index cards next to the box with a pen. And the teens starting Sunday uh, can put in any question they want into that box. They don't have to sign it, it can be anonymous. So they put their questions into the box, any topic, nothing's off limits. And on Tuesday evening, we have the pastor panel where we go into Hammonds Hall and the ordained pastors who were at camp last year, it was Pastor Brad Maston and Pastor David Roseland. They sit up in front of, the, of Hammonds Hall and Jeff Phipps, the director, and I start pulling out the index cards and we read them. And it's a heavy lift. It's, it's a big responsibility these pastors have to answer all of these issues from the teens in a mature and biblical way. And I have some of the questions here. Um, typical 13 to 19 year old questions. Stuck in my pocket right now. Um, I feel like Mr. Tongren trying to find his poem. I don't know if you remember that. Um, so, hopefully, you understand what it is. Here are actual the some of the actual cards from the teens, and we know that if one teen is asking a particular type of question, whether it's peer pressure or boyfriend, girlfriend, then a lot of the other teens in the room are dealing with the same issues. Here's one of their cards. How can you give the gospel to a friend who is completely against going to church or listening to the gospel? Awesome, awesome question. Another one. I have some non-Christian friends who I met recently. I think they are a bad influence. I want to love them in a Christ-like way. How can I do that? <clears throat> this one I found very interesting this year. How do you get out of, how do you get out of a numb place in your faith? N-U-M-B. How do you get out of a numb place in your faith? Interesting. Another teen wrote, this isn't for me. I have some friends at school who were debating about how everything has a creator, and so God must have a creator, or a beginning. Can you please explain? How should we treat trans people? Very current topic these teens wanted to know about. Can you have gay friends? 
typical 13 to 19-year-old question. I am struggling with sexual impulses, thoughts, and lusts. Any words of wisdom? You, if you ever get the opportunity to attend one of these pastor panels, they're awesome. And when some of these questions come up, you could hear a pin drop. They, they want to know the answer to these questions. Some of them theological, some not. Jesus said there would be 12 disciples sitting on 12 thrones in heaven. If Judas is out because he betrayed Christ, who are the 12? Awesome. This has been in the news a lot. What is the biblical view on aliens? We have very strict rules as far as pairing off at Camp Arvita. It's not allowed. There are no public displays of affection allowed. Um, it is not boyfriend, girlfriend camp. It's Bible camp and we have strict rules. But this one is interesting. Why is romance not allowed here? I know we don't want anything sinful happening, but is this not one of the best and safest places to find a life partner? Interesting. And we have had marriages between Arete alumni. We have another one coming up. Jeremy Thomas's daughter, uh, Riven Thomas, is marrying Luke Atwood, both Arete veterans, in about six months. I have mostly unbelieving friends. As I continue to high school, do you think I should still hang out with these friends? And the last one, it's just three words and a question mark. Kissing before marriage? So what this does for the counselors at Camp Arete and for the staff is it gives us a peek into what our group is dealing with this particular year. And so the following days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning, the counselors can probe a little bit and more accurately know what our group is dealing with this year. Some years they're very lighthearted questions. Some years they are very, very serious situations. We had one year when we were still in Colorado where a sweet young girl, 13, 14 years old, came to camp and she had just lost her older sister to a drug overdose. And uh, she was in a bad way. Her heart was, was crushed. And, uh, and she was talking as she got to know the other girls and talking a little too much about committing suicide and wanting to be where her sister is. And we certainly understood that. So we did a lot of counseling with her, uh, myself and Pastor Rick King. And um, had some very heartfelt discussions. And she ended up having as good a week as she could. Um, she and about six others, we completed about an eight-mile hike on the last day. And she was doing much better and had a good week. So that is the pastor panel, very valuable uh, peek into the world of teens, and um, we do that every year at Camp Arete. Do you the pastors at the front of the room, that's why it's called the pastor panel. The ordained pastors, Brad Maston and David Roseland, answer all those questions. <clears throat> no, not me. Um, thank goodness, some of them are very hard. Um, all right, let's get into our discussion. This is not working again. Okay, wait just a minute. Okay, just a quick review of last Sunday morning. We talked about the origins of spiritual warfare 
which in a name comes right down to, to Satan, uh, who the opponents are, Satan and his fallen angels and the demons, versus the Trinity, the angels, and us as believers. Uh, how many angels there are, we discussed briefly, and the Bible is not specific on this. It is a large but indefinite number. We talked about Satan specifically, what he looks like, his skills and talents, his titles, his tactics. And we talked about the five I wills of Satan, which really boil down to, I will replace you, uh, God the Father. I want to be on the throne. I want every creature ever created to worship me, is what his five I wills boil down to. We talked about the fact that Satan's war is already lost. Um, Christ defeated him by dying on the cross and, and uh, being uh, resurrected after three days. He knows his time is short, but God is allowing him right now to be very, very active. He still wants to take as many with him into the lake of fire that he can. We talked about how to stay on the offensive as a local church and support with prayer, with finances, with our own individual involvement. And we talked about which side are you on, because we, that's what we talked about. So let's get a little further into Satan's strategy to defeat us. Let's look uh, at uh, the fact that many Christians wonder, why do I have so much hardship and loss? And some who accept Christ as an adult think, oh, I'm going to become a Christian and then my life is going to be great. God's going to be right beside me the whole time, and I'm going to be filled with love and peace and happiness, and everything is going to go much better. And a lot of us who have been around a while know that not exactly the case. I mean, yes, we have joy and confidence and trust and peace, and there are so many promises of God, but like we tell the kids downstairs, you are a piece of clay in God's hands, and he wants to mold you. And how do you mold clay? You put pressure on it, and you might have to pound it, and you, you, you squish it, and you might even have to cut a piece off. And that pressure and that pounding and that molding, that's tough. It's called testing, and, and yes, he's molding you, but it can hurt. Why is life so hard? Because we have a very real opponent. We have someone that is definitely against you and your way of life as a believer in Jesus Christ. This genius-level opponent's goal is to draw us away from God, to thwart God's purpose in our lives, and to divide us. One of his primary tools is division, dividing us. Um, Dave Rosen was in a conversation at Camp Arete this year and, uh, with a team, and he made an offhand comment as part of the conversation, but it, it really stuck out to me. He said, he told this team that we are like musical instruments. And God is constantly tuning us and improving us to get the, the tunes out and the rhythms and the music out that are going to glorify him and his son. And um, I'd never heard it put that way. It was stuck with me. Um, Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. And every crafty plan of his is against God and against believers. Satan is mentioned throughout the Bible and is very real. To not believe in Satan is foolishness. It is like being in through a, thrown into a pit of hungry lions and then saying, it's okay, I don't believe in lions. Um, <laughs> to not believe in Satan is foolishness. He is intertwined throughout the Bible. Romans 8, 5 through 9, let's see what that says. For those who are according to the flesh, unbelievers, and living an ungodly life, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. People's hearts get so hard and they get so stubborn that they... they don't even want to be in the same room as, as a Bible and won't read it and won't listen to anything. And um, as we said earlier, even those with very high academic credentials sometimes vehemently reject uh, anything to do with God and they're all about evolution and science and, and other things. Um, and Satan will do everything he can to keep them blinded to the truth. 
And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you, believers, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Jesus said, if you are not with me, you are against me. You cannot think holy things and hostile things at the same time. There's no riding the fence on this one. You're a believer trying to live a godly life or you're an unbeliever uh, supporting Satan um, or you're a believer who is totally living in sin and we'll talk about that in just a minute. The worldly mind is set on hostile things. The worldly mind set on hostile things does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, as we just spoke about. And many times they are just completely blinded. They don't want to know the law of God. They don't want anything to do with God. Can't see him, can't feel him, can't taste him. They're totally worldly in their, in their viewpoints, evolution and others. The mind that is controlled by the devil cannot please God. God's plan is never advanced by sin. When you trust Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God is in your life to rule and reign. But if you choose, you still have free will even as a believer. You can still disobey God and listen to the devil. We are all tempted and we can either throw up a resistance to that temptation or we can just give in to it and disobey God. We still have free will even as believers with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Our minds and our hearts are the battlefield. There's the angelic conflict going on, which we do not have visibility on, and there's also the human-level conflict going on, which we have a lot of visibility on. The battle is long, from Genesis 3 to the kingdom. The enemy is a very dangerous opponent. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So it doesn't say, hey, relax. You can just go through life. You're a believer now. You don't have to worry about much. No, it says be on the alert. Be aware of your situation. If you're in a bad situation or in a bad place, Make a change. Be on the alert, just like Danny Post is on the alert in our foyer right now as our usher. And other men here are on alert as well. We used to be quite a soft target here at PCBC. We're not a soft target anymore. Paul tells the Ephesian church to put on the full armor of God so that they can stand firm against his schemes. Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians, you know, every now and then put on a piece of armor. He says, no, put on the full armor armor of God, because your opponent is dangerous. Satan's will is to deceive you, to destroy you, to keep you from walking in obedience to God, and ultimately to pull God from his throne, going back to the five I wills. He wants to replace God on his throne. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world one of Satan's titles, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I think that's why sometimes it is, you know, that more than 50% of Christians accept Christ before they were 18 years old. Because when they're young, they're, they're more apt to uh, perceive that you are sincere and you are a loving person when you give them the gospel. Um, when you're older, your heart's a little harder. You can be blinded more easily by the world and Satan's system and definitely distracted. Satan is a master deceiver, a misleading liar, the source of lies. He distracts and wants people to trust him and to distrust God. We are in a conflict some of the time. No, we're in a constant 
conflict. We may not always feel it. You may get up some days and say, wow, things have just been going so great lately. Um, Everything's going my way. Um, uh, Be careful, be careful. You may not always feel that you're in a conflict. We live in a world of conflict because Satan is always lying. He's always stirring the pot. He's always always testing us. Um, Current American society is evidence, big time, of this conflict. There's lying, there's misleading, there's cheating, there's stealing, there's adultery, there's all kinds of sin going on. In the teens and the young people growing up, they see it every day. It seems like there is almost a wholesale giving over to Satan, especially with some of the uh, uh, political moves and the legislation that's being passed and approved and written into human law, um, almost a wholesale giving over to Satan. Many unbelievers are trying to convince others that sin is not sin. I have very good friends that I have known for decades, and um, I thought they were strong Christians, but lately they have warmed up to the view of homosexuality is really not that bad. Um, and, and they're deceiving themselves and they're trying to deceive me. They're saying, hey, wait a minute. Jesus is all about love. God is all about love. This man can't help it if he falls in love with this other man. It's all about love, love, love. And I'm like, ah, no, I'm sorry. So we've had frank discussions about this. We used to spend quite a bit of time with them, myself and my wife, Linda. And they are not going to to change. They have many gay friends now. And so what do we do in that situation? Um, They're not going to change. So Linda and I have to employ the principle of separation. Um, uh, When you know they're not going to come back under the teaching of the word or, or, or get straightened out on an issue, why would you separate? Well, the Bible says you separate lest you be pulled down into that same thinking. So when it comes down to it, you know they're not going to change. Employ that principle of separation. Man's laws cannot make moral what God has said is immoral. I don't care if our politicians and our legislature says homosexual marriage is fine. They've made laws. It's legal. Um, Uh, That does not make it any less immoral. Man's laws, yeah, it's perfectly fine to kill an unborn child with an abortion. Man's laws cannot make moral what God has said is immoral. Very important point. And another current topic, when a person votes to kill children, born or unborn, you vote to agree with the devil, period, black and white. When a person votes to kill children, born or unborn, you vote to agree with the devil. The Bible says, the Bible says many, many things. You, a lot of shall nots. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. When you are violating the laws of God, you have become the enemy of God. Christ says you are either with me or you're against me. You have consented to do what Satan wants you to do. And you will suffer the consequences. Those early on in in our homosexual era, which preceded this era of transgenderism and mental illness, um, in the homosexual era back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, there were certainly consequences. God brought about AIDS which killed thousands, thousands of homosexual men. You will suffer the consequences if God deems it. It is Satan's lies that say, well, it isn't that bad. Everyone's doing it. It won't hurt you. Um, Like my friends trying to convince me that homosexuality is just all about love. No, I'm sorry. Satan is a master deceiver. It's one of his specialties. Even if you are a believer, your life is a battlefield. 
for the devil. Who do you think it is that tempts you daily to lie? Who is it that tempts you to take advantage of a situation? Well, who tempts you men, myself included, to look with lust, with your eyes? In James 1.3, I mean 1.13, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. These temptations are from the master deceiver who wants to trip you up. They are from Satan and his demons. And he knows your weaknesses. He knows how to trip you up. And he knows when to trip you up. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Satan is very much alive and tempting us to sin, but he cannot overpower a believer unless we give him permission. When you are tempted, if you throw up that resistance, resist even a little bit. You've got help. You've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've got the ministering spirits, the angels. You've got help. Uh, throw up that resistance and he will give you a way out. Satan is very much alive and tempting us to sin, but he cannot overpower a believer unless we give him permission, unless we give in to that temptation. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist, it's an imperative. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but as is common to man. We're all facing many of the same temptations. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. He will not tempt you beyond what you are able to resist and pass. But you have to make the decision and I have to make the decision to throw up that resistance, to resist. Do not give in to the temptation. Christ knows exactly what you are going through, what I am going through. Well, how do we know that? In Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Christ was tempted in all things. Everything you will ever face, Christ has been tempted with already, and he passed the test. We may not, but Christ passed the test. It says, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, which will help us in our temptation, but we have to resist. Mark 1.13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus was tempted and tested by Satan after fasting. Um, his human body as a man, after fasting, he was hungry. He was in need of nutrition. So what was one of the first temptations that Satan put before him? Why don't you just turn that stone to bread, Jesus, and your needs will be met. You will be satisfied. You can eat. And Jesus passed the test. Look at the last part of that verse. And the angels were ministering to him. They were ministering to Jesus and helping him during these temptations and throughout these temptations. And those same angels will help us if we make the decision to resist instead of give in. Are they not all ministering spirits, speaking about the angels, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we have many things in the Christian walk that can help us resist the devil. How does God aid us in this warfare, in temptation? Well, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives within us. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed into our soul. In Ezekiel 26, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful 
to observe my ordinances. We have the Holy Spirit in us. God gave us a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. And this isn't just for believers. Unbelievers have this too. God gave us an innate ability, a conscience, to know right and wrong. And how do we know we have a conscience? Because when we violate it, when we do something wrong, we get a guilty conscience. We feel it. Everyone has a sense of right and wrong. He gave us the Bible, an awesome, the ultimate handbook for living. Um, so we need to stay under the teaching of the Bible. Even if we fail, we have been sealed by God and cannot be lost. So when you're faced with a strong temptation and you give in and you fail, you still have not lost your salvation. Um, that cannot be lost. What's wrong with this comment? It says, even if we fail. I think it may be more accurate to say even when we fail because we're just going to fail every single day. But we confess it, we get back on our feet, and we drive on. Even when we fail, we have been sealed by God and cannot be lost. In John 10, 28 through 29, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I mean, think about it. When, when God says this person has eternal life, you think mere man can change that by, by sinning? The angels can't even change that. When God does something, it can't be undone unless he wills it to be undone. Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor present things nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God does something, even the angels, certainly man, cannot undo it. We just don't have that that, that power. Romans 11.29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Does he have to make it any plainer? So if we are saved eternally, our name is written in the book of life. Whew, it's over, baby. We're going to heaven. Let's live it up. Have you ever heard someone say this? I know I don't live a godly life. But the Bible says my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm saved, so I'm not going to worry about the fact that I'm living in a homosexual relationship or whatever your, your sinful life is. I'm going to heaven. And it's true. They are. Um, once you're saved, I mean, you could become the world's worst serial killer. You're still going to go to heaven. You can't undo what God has done. The Bible also says that God will chastise you, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you. So if you choose to live it up and live an ungodly life um, because your name is already in the, the Lamb's Book of Life and you are saved, that's true, but God will chastise you and uh, try to get you back in line to glorify his son. He wants to get your attention so you realize who you are listening to, either God or the devil. Your chastisement or divine discipline is a warning that God is committed, that Satan is committed to your destruction. Heed the warnings. He, Satan, wants you destroyed because you bear witness to the Son of God. His love and his graciousness to man. We all as believers bear witness to the Son of God. So let's talk about some of Satan's favorite strategies. Number one is redirection. He directs your attention toward a need or a desire. Satan created the desire and need for the one thing she couldn't have as humans, you can say, okay, Eve, you, you can enjoy the perfect weather in this Garden of Eden. You can enjoy all the, the wonderful 
fruits and uh, edibles to survive. You can enjoy having Christ come in and teach you each evening. Everything is all set. Just don't eat of the forbidden fruit. And we as humans, what are we going to want? What does every child want? The one thing that you tell them they can't have. Satan may point out something in your life that you don't have. He will not remind you of everything you do have. How blessed you are, how healthy you are, what you drive, where you live, what you wear, um, the freedom to come here and, and uh, enjoy the teaching of the Word of God. Um, we are so blessed and we've been given so much grace, but Satan knows your weakness. He's going to say, you know what? You'll be even happier. You'll be even more fulfilled. You'll be even more content if you just get this. I know a man lives fairly close to me who was redirected his entire life. He knew what he wanted and it was a big home in the country on a large piece of land. I think he's got between 60 and 80 acres and a huge workshop on the side, three car garage with a very professional workshop inside and his home. He wanted it to have an indoor swimming pool. And, uh, uh, so he kept building homes, live in it for a couple of years, sell it, build another home, live in it for a couple of years, sell it, and kept doing that. And he got to the point where this is it, I'm going to build. For decades he wanted this, and he finally got to the point where he's going to build it. And he was building it, very large home. I've been inside it, I've seen the swimming pool. Um, and he was up on the roof and moving a piece of plywood over to complete his roof. And a gust of wind came up and sailed him and that piece of plywood right off the roof. And it's a tall building. It's a big house. And so now, this thing that he's been directing his, his life toward, his whole life, um, he is currently very badly crippled and having multiple, multiple surgeries, multiple, multiple health issues. And um, so be careful what... Uh, the world redirects you toward and make sure it's something of God. Heck of a nice guy, but he'll tempt you. If you really want to be fulfilled and complete and happy, go for this. Satan will tell you, if you really want to be fulfilled and complete and happy, go for this. And remember, he's a master deceiver. Keep peeling that onion until you get to the ground truth. He points out the things that you don't have. And he convinces you that that is what's going to make you complete and, and happy for the rest of your life. He creates this desire to get you refocused, off base, and off track. So Satan's, one of his favorite strategies is redirection. If your goal is not from God, it will leave you unfulfilled, empty, and self-destructed. The, the man I just uh, spoke about was certainly self-destructed. Another one of Satan's favorite strategies is timing. He knows when you're weakest. He knows when to hit you with your particular weakness. Look at Jesus' temptation we already spoke about. After he'd been fasting for 40 days, what did, one of the first things that, that Satan tempted him with, he knew your human body is hungry. Your human body needs nutrition and nourishment. Jesus, turn that stone into bread and you will be satisfied. But Jesus knew better. Satan uses times when we're either very, very hungry, very, very angry, very lonely, or very, very tired. He's going to hit you when you are weakest. In Psalm 107, 5, it says, They were hungry and thirsty, and their souls fainted within them. It has a physical effect. So, when you are very, very hungry, be aware. When you are very, very angry, you're not thinking straight when you're very, very angry. You're going to make very emotional, uh, humanistic decisions. When you're very, very lonely and your, your heart is, is heavy, uh, you are susceptible to Satan. And... Hungry, angry, lonely, and T is tired. When you are very, very tired, you're very fatigued. Uh, you're very 
susceptible. Satan knows exactly when to attack, how to attack, and when we are vulnerable. So remember the acronym HALT. When you're very, very hungry, very, very angry, you're not making good decisions, very lonely, your heart is depressed, and um, I don't know why I can't remember the T today. When you are very, very fatigued and tired, you are susceptible. Be aware of these. Another favorite tactic, tactic of his is he creates doubt in God. Uh, he will attack us where we are weakest, maybe getting you to doubt a certain verse in the Bible. He will trick us into misrepresenting scripture to justify our sinful position. He can cause people to rationalize themselves right into sin, like that couple that Linda and I used to be friends with, used to spend a lot of time with. They have just wrapped their arms around the, the, the idea of homosexuality, and they've rationalized themselves right into sin. Do you believe all of the Bible or not is what it comes down to. Do you believe all of the Bible or not, or just part of the Bible? How many times do you drive around here and you see supposedly Christian churches with the LGBT flags out in front? Oh my goodness. They don't, they're, I don't know what they're doing with the verses that say a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. Um, are they just ignoring it? I, I don't even want to know what they're teaching. I just want to know what the Bible is teaching. So do you believe all of the Bible or not? In Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe all the Bible or not? If you believe God is going to supply all of your needs, why cheat on your taxes? Why, why fudge your, your time card? Why get a side hustle going that may be a little immoral or, heaven forbid, illegal? Um, if God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches, it comes down to, do you believe all of the Bible or not? If you believe that, why would you sin to get your needs met? If Satan can create doubt in your mind about the word of God, that is a dangerous doubt because it's, it's a small flame. You doubt one verse may lead to doubting other verses. Um, and I'm sure you've heard people say, well, that is your interpretation. And, and this church really combats that well because the interpretations of the Bible are from, directly from, the Koine Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And that's where um, uh, our pastor specializes in correct interpretation of the Bible. And, and Mike and Mark and Jack are very, very accurate in their interpretations and so important. Satan's strategy number four is deception. This is where he is really uh, a master, genius level deceiver. It is a key weapon of his. Um, deception is a ruse, a trick, the act, big or small, cruel or kind, of encouraging people to believe information that is not true. And it is so thick and so heavy in our society today, uh, uh, encouragement um, of people to believe information that is not true. It seems like most of the mass media and cable news and streaming services and information on the internet, oh my goodness. Encouraging people to believe, you know, I think it was Trump that invented the, the term fake news. And um, my goodness, it just seems to dominate. Um, and it, for some of us, it's very easy to see through. I mean, when you're listening to CNN or MSNBC or Rachel Maddow or any of the others that are out there, my goodness, it is just as if they're talking at a Democratic National Convention. Um, uh, it's not news, it's... It's deception, extremely biased. If Satan can deceive you, he has you. So many of my friends have given over and just think Trump is the biggest criminal in the world. And Matthew 24, 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Take the time. Look at the divine viewpoint. Peel that onion back. Get to the ground truth. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Many should be capitalized. Millions and millions and millions are being misled 
by the television. Well, they're a professional reporter. They've obviously done their homework. If they're reporting it live on, or on television to the masses, it's got to be true. Oh, yay, yay. Uh, Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The deceptive path is wide. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, Another one of Satan's favorite strategies, creating division. Satan divided the angels, he took a third of them down with him. He divided Adam and Eve from God by getting them to sin. He wants to divide all of mankind from God. And divisions are a powerful weapon that the devil uses to destroy the church from within. Even here locally, within the... Uh, 30-mile radius, there are churches that have split. And some of you are here because your church may have split. And how do they split? By human viewpoint creeping into the church, that part of the Bible doesn't apply in today's age. That part of the Word of God is outdated. I mean, there are multiple reasons why a church will split, um, but uh, Satan loves to divide Satan loves division that pits one group in society against another. If he can get us all to fight and hate each other, the anti-gun lobby versus the NRA or Black Lives Matter versus the police or any division he can create, um, he loves it. He loves it when we... It's less work he has to do if we're tearing each other apart, bringing each other down. He wants to destroy... He wants us to destroy ourselves and hatred against other people is one of the fastest ways we become the authors of our own demise. Even without Satan's influence, we all have an old sin nature and we're pretty good at, at, at messing up. We need all the help we can get. If Satan can get you to doubt one verse of scripture, he can use that to lead you to another area of your life where he can pervert and create doubt. Um, again, it goes back to do you believe all of the Bible or not? Maybe you want to not believe in this part. The areas of Scripture that you will question are in the areas that you want to sin in. I know a young man who's living a very homosexual lifestyle and... Um, uh, I know he's a believer. I know he went to a K through eight Christian school, and I've spoken to him many times. But he's in a homosexual relationship, and he told me recently, uh, you know, I, I want to come back to church, and um, um, that's fantastic. Come on back. Uh, this is a not a um, hotel for saints. This building is not a hotel for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. So I said, come on back, come on back. But as you hear the truth, you may be chastised, you may be put under divine discipline. God may start to mold that piece of clay rather harshly, um, but definitely come back. So in closing, uh, let's review some of uh, Satan's favorite strategies. Uh, redirection, getting you pointed towards something in your life that is meaningless and empty rather than continuing your walk in the Lord and, and heading towards Christian maturity. Timing, remember when you are very hungry, you are very angry, you are very lonely, you are very tired, you're not quite thinking, your, your defenses are down, maybe you don't have on the full armor of God, you've got a few pieces and they might be kind of thin because of your hunger or your anger or your loneliness or your fatigue, it affects you, you're vulnerable creating doubt. If he can get you to create a, a little bit of doubt in one verse, why not, why not doubt the rest of the Bible? And remember, he may get you to try to doubt that area in which you have a propensity to want to sin, to relieve your guilty conscience.
uh, deception, a massive specialty of his. It, it is just on a, going on on a massive scale right now through the media, through the internet, on everybody's cell phone every single day. He's trying to deceive you to believe in, in one thing instead of the truth. And in creating division. Again, something, what did Biden run on? I'm going to unify the country. Well, it's um, just the opposite, isn't it? He's calling 81 million voters uh, uh, domestic terrorists. If you voted for Trump, you're a domestic terrorist. Yeah, that's, that's really unifying. Um, so be careful. It's a dangerous world. Um, and stay under the teaching of the Word of God, and we'll be fine. Let's close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we pray especially this morning for our young people and the parents and families who are raising them. Father, they are susceptible. They are looking around trying to gain the proper perspective on this crazy life. They are trying to gain focus on exactly what they should concentrate on and focus on. And Father, those parents... Um, have such a big responsibility to guide our young people nowadays uh, and themselves at the same time um, toward your truth in the Bible as taught here at Preston City Bible Church under our pastor. Father, we just pray for his success in his studies and uh, that he will ex do exceedingly well in his uh, PhD examinations. We thank you for everyone who is... Uh, uh, helping to uh, fill the pulpit. We pray for Mike coming up on second hour, that you will bless every word that, uh, and guide every word that comes out of his mouth. We thank you for the uh, immense amount of time that he took into preparing uh, his message today. And Father, we thank you for our time together during this coffee break as we uh, prepare to begin again in about 30 minutes. Father, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>